Hey there, everybody, and welcome to another episode of XP Gains. My name, as always, is McThane, and I'm here with my evil twin and co-host, Mr. Silverstrike. And today, we're going to be kicking off with a few gaming issues, as we are wont to do here on XP Gains. Going to be talking about Anthem and a lot of issues that have come up recently with its extremely troubled development. A lot of information has been coming out recently. We're going to dig into that in more detail. But we're also going to be talking about a few things in the gaming industry at large. Uh, some things that we've been wanting to talk about for a while, but there hasn't really been enough to get into. So we're going to start off with the Epic Launcher entering the gaming platform scene, along with multiple other platforms like Steam, more dedicated platforms like Origin, etc. The issues with exclusivity and a lot of the kind of moral, ethical, and just convenience-based issues on those. And we're also going to be talking about a few technology matters, like the up-and-coming streaming service for games. We're going to be talking about Google Stadia, but we won't keep you too long here at the intro, guys. We'll catch you on the flip side. Enjoy the episode, everybody. The looter shooter state of video games lately has been interesting to say the least. Like Anthem flopped hard. We learned about what happened to Anthem. Yeah, yeah, really. Jason Schreier put out a really long blog post. I on have this. read the majority of this. I didn't get the chance to finish it, but man, that sounds like development hell, really. Mismanagement, really, right? It's just, well, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. But anyway, yeah, yeah, we'll get into it. I have not read it entirely either. So, but I have gotten the gist of it, though. I kind of got the feeling after like the, the eighth or ninth major crisis, <laughs> you kind of get the idea. Yeah. So I think I said this, but I played the first six hours or so of Anthem. And I said, I don't, I don't want to play this. It's, it's no, it's no good. Right. So why was that? And it was... What I mean, what what contributed? Like, let's let's go through it for people who haven't played the game or who haven't heard what we've said about our initial impressions from the previous episode. So, I mean, we both played it, but what was your what was your takeaway? I know you liked it less than I did. Yeah, my well, I liked the the open beta. Uh, sorry, <laughs> I'm saying open beta. It what felt like an open yeah. beta, but was actually that was like, actually the release version of the game. Yeah, that too. But I mean, there was a little demo. It was the open demo, I believe, is what they right. called it, uh, that we all played together a little bit. And well, when we could, yeah. My concern at that time was that it felt like there was not enough content. Which really there wasn't. Yeah. And then the game came out, and the the game was, of course, bigger than the demo, because how could it not be? But it was not as big as many people thought. Well, it, it was only be. the. I mean, the demo was only what six weeks behind the the build for the demo was only six weeks behind the other one. I mean, in six weeks, you're not going to do that much. There were yeah, there were also major technical gripes. But what I mean in terms of sizes, I mean that the main area of the demo was constrained. You could not fly beyond the yeah the map. Point. Yeah, sure, but you could see everything that was on the map. The map was there in its entirety. There were a bunch of issues with that game that came to light like the first week, which was effectively a week exclusively for people who paid a little bit extra and wanted to play early. Um, EA called it. It wasn't at the wasn't it VIP access or something? Vi yeah, VIP access. But effectively, it was that's when the game was released because that's when people could get their hands yeah. on it. Um, the devs, or at least some spokespeople, insisted that this was just 
VIP access and the game was only launching with the day one patch the week afterwards. But suffice to say the game was, you know, there were technical issues. There were pacing issues that came out. So the the point where I stopped playing was where the thing that they fixed later on, apparently, uh, that was fixed in the release version is where it took you out of the main story and told you to grind some stuff in the open world before you could proceed. Oh, no. That is... Yeah. Unless your game is really designed around that kind of mechanic, it is such a development sin to have like this random bit where they just go, yeah, it's not really reasonable that you continue on with the story at this point, so we're just going to throw in a grind. Yeah. So in the tell-all story that Jason wrote up about the the development of the game, this particular part was actually very controversial within BioWare, uh-huh. but it was intended to kind of stifle the the progress of the player yeah, a little of bit. Course. But apparently, and I don't know if you caught this in the article, there was an even more severe version of this implemented where you'd have to wait actual real life days before you could gain access to the next quest why i don't know this almost feels like do you do you remember um it was one of the metal gear solid games i think they it was guns of the patriots where there was that one boss who was a sniper or something and he was this old man and if you just waited and left your console on long enough he would just die and you didn't have to fight him <laughs> <laughs> but but that was that was Hideo Kojima being hyper-realistic with one boss. And you had the option of just fighting the boss. <laughs> it was yeah, kind yeah, of a, yeah, yeah, yeah. a cool was... Easter egg thing, basically. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> I can't believe that that was even up for, up for, uh, yeah. for development in the game. I can't, I can't believe it. Yeah. So, yeah, that was crazy. Um, and that was the point when I put down the game and I said, okay. Enough is enough. I'm not I'm not having this. And I refunded the game. And fortunately, I because of the origin great game guarantee, you have a certain amount of time where you can say, I want to return the game because it's not good enough or I'm having technical issues or whatever. And I got all my money back. No questions asked. No problems raised or anything. What is the... Uh... It was almost instantaneous. What is the threshold? Is it like Steam where you have to own the game for less than two weeks and play it for less than two hours? Uh, I don't know exactly, but there's a bunch of rules that apply. Yeah. So if you bought it, you can return it within the first, I don't know, so many days. Uh, No questions asked. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Um, And because it was a pre-order, I couldn't refund it that VIP week for some reason that was weird and i thought oh no i lost my money i can't refund it but then when the official release date quote unquote uh came around i was able to refund it no problem so that was good uh, and then since that moment i have been following the subreddit and the community of anthem to see how their perspective shifts and they have gone from Guys, this is a good game. You just got to give it some time to... This game is an unmitigated disaster. (laughs) In six weeks or something like that. It's interesting. Um, Like, at at some point, apparently, there was no flying in Anthem. Yeah, I remember this. And it was essentially in response to some executive basically being a big poopy pants about the demo that nobody had any time to prepare 
because they should have been developing the game instead of making a demo, which they couldn't do because yeah. nobody made a decision for how the game was supposed to be made. The thing that really got me about this was actually just digging into this a little bit deeper was the way they talked about yeah. just general indecision among the team. And the way this yes. was described literally as no one stepped up and took charge. And I'm just thinking to myself, yes. you had a team that was so used to being, I think they termed it as being like the the crew of the Starship Enterprise, that when yeah. the guy who was running the show left, there was nothing. There was no driving influence anywhere. And the fact that they couldn't replace that literally drives me up the wall. If shit really hits the fan, there's always that person that steps in and steps up and says, okay, guys, we really got to do something now. And it seems like in this equation, that person was not there. I know. How can you have a studio full of people and there's no, I, I guess you would just call it like tacit, tacit gotta, buoyancy. Yeah. I mean, like. That's got to be a management issue, right? Well, yeah. See, for those of the those of uh, our fan base who don't know, I actually studied management in university. My my degree was business management, and uh, I remember this point when we were in a tutorial, and somebody was talking about hierarchies and management, and I I put up my hand and I I made some comment. I can't remember what it was, but um, I remember the the tutor taking a moment and saying. Okay, so you don't think that it's naturally necessary or or strictly necessary to have a well-defined management hierarchy. What would you say is an alternative to that? And I said, well, I actually have a theory of of natural buoyancy in in environments. I mean, you you put people in a room, someone ends up dominant always. But it sounds like in this case that genuinely did not happen. It's it's baffling. There's got to be some factors that cause a person not to step up and they must have been rather severe well with the amount of chaos that was going on i mean probably nobody wanted to end up holding the bag you know what i'm saying that's just yeah geez and probably everybody was doing their different departments and everything else i mean yeah so yeah yeah. they started work on this in 2012 and they effectively had supposedly if this article is to be believed 18 months of work on the actual game uh, yeah out of the Apparently, last six, six years or seven years yeah. we ended up with 1.5 years <laughs> yeah. the 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 really like the few things that boggle the mind are one is how did they take so long in pre-production is one of the things that really boggles the mind but the other issue is they had such a apparently a, a pretty big vision for what the game was going to be they didn't really have a concrete vision of where to take the game though and that became the big catalyst in terms of the big problem yeah and then they had to go and sell the game and they didn't know how to do it so they made a hub area that was supposed to be one of the many hub areas which became fort tarsus and then they centered all of the game around that when they did their e3 presentation and it was only then After we as the public had seen kind of what the game was going to be about, that the team had direction. Well, maybe... That is insane! Like the people were working on this stuff, and at the start of 2018, there was one mission in the game. Do you remember the the Noclip uh, documentary about the making of Doom? 
the recent Doom yes, reboot. Yes, do. And yeah, they yeah, were talking yeah. about how literally the day of release, they were still ironing out the timing on the initial gameplay sequence when you wake up on the table and you you yeah. smash the head of that one, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it's like the zombies basically. And you, it, it like yeah, snaps yeah. its jaws and then you go up the elevator and you like rack your shotgun as you step out into this like, you know, hell verse. And they were still working out the kinks. And it's amazing to think that that level of polish was achieved on the last day. But we're talking here about not having the intro sequence down. Okay, it's yeah. your first moment of gameplay. But if that's really, really crummy and the rest of the game is really, really awesome, which obviously is not what they were working on the last day, then you're fine. You'll get away with it. But the fact that this game had no direction for all that time, yeah, absolutely nuts. From the studio that brought you Mass Effect and Dragon Age, this game had no direction. That is unforgivable. Bioware as it existed when it made those games is no longer a thing. It's gone. Yeah, it is. And it will probably never be back. I would be very interested. I was thinking about this the other day. I'd be very interested to see a new spin-off studio being formed by all the people who have left and i would not think that that is unlikely they could very easily still today trade on their name because i think a lot of people on the internet do have the scoop on this and they do know that bioware as a dream is not dead yeah it's kind of like um the story of infinity ward that became respawn and then made titanfall you know that's what it reminds me of and that was such a games yeah. Rip. Sometimes when yeah, sometimes when studios spin off, they can make something truly magical. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's yeah all we can all we can really hope for in this case. And um, Anthem, yeah, Anthem is a shit we, show, and it's gonna be it's yeah, gonna be a shit show for a long time. Yeah, there's certain problems also with the way weapon scaling worked yeah. and works. Like the funniest moment was when I read this post about how the level one shotgun is the most powerful weapon in the game. I'm sure they've patched it up by now, but at, at some point somebody figured out if you are like level 60, but equip a lower level weapon, you do relatively, you know, relative to the enemies you're facing and the calculation based on what yeah. weapon and what level weapon you were doing the most damage with the level one weapon, not with the freaking masterwork legendary guns. No, 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 no. no. The level one. Yeah, shotgun. but that's what you get when you design an entire system to be a treadmill. Yeah. Well, not just that, but the way the system was designed was what, like. What do you mean designed? <laughs> yeah, it exactly. Wasn't. That's, that's exactly. Yeah. Yes. But I mean, it seems it seems like that was such a trend, though, because I mean, they're talking about in the article how they just had to hack their way around everything to get things to work in Frostbite. Yeah. So Jason Schreier also wrote a book called Blood, Sweat and Pixels, which details the development of Dragon Age Inquisition and again, Bioware, right? And similar problems, because this was when they were doing their uh, Frostbite implementation of the Dragon Age features, like making a save when you're standing somewhere in yeah, the it's, world. Yeah, it's yet or, another boardroom decision that doesn't work out in the field, essentially. Yeah. yeah, EA forcing the use of DICE's Frostbite engine, which was intended for first-person shooters and had tooling for first-person and shooters. And nothing else. And nothing else is probably going to go down in history as one of those crazy decisions. It's just going to take so much time for your tools to be good enough 
for them to work and and then you can start making a game. I watched a documentary about Horizon Zero Dawn from uh, Guerrilla mm-hmm. Games, the Dutch studio, who made the well, you know, it was well uh, received, I would say, at the very least. It was very well received, in yes. fact. Acclaimed. Um, yes. And they showed off in either an interview or a video I saw the tool sets that they had built for this mm-hmm. game and how their tool set allowed them to build an interesting world. If you are struggling with your tool set, how can you be expected to make anything remotely interesting in the game world? Yeah. This reminds me very much of it reminds me very much of the Albert Einstein quote, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb trees, it will think it's a failure for the 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 whole of its life. It's like, you know, yes. if you if you judge your role-playing game, your looter shooter game by the tools of a first-person shooter, <laughs> you know. The thing is, I've been thinking about this, and like some of the most well-received franchises and games have all had a good engine at the core, or at least a flexible engine that allows level designers to quickly iterate. Now, I know it's very fun and uh, edgy and, you know, everybody's doing it uh, nowadays. It's it's very fun to hate on Fallout 76. But prior to Fallout 76, prior to them injecting the entire netcode thing and multiplayer into their engine, they had a pretty solid engine. Like, sure, there were lots of bugs and glitches, but from a world-building perspective, the creation kit that they've built is pretty impressive they made skyrim they made fallout 3 they made fallout 4 and the reason why they were able to craft such large worlds with so much stuff to do in them is because they had good tools and there's some games that can pull off a really good gameplay because of the tools like for example divinity original sin 2 also comes to mind there's a really good gameplay system out there. They basically open sourced or made available the creation kit because you can make your own campaigns as well. It's the same toolkit that the developers used when making the game. And you can kind of see how powerful the tools are. And if you then put competent level designers in there to make the content for you, then you can have really wonderful experiences. But if that framework is missing, all you've got left is maybe a few set pieces and half-baked systems that you came up with too late. Yeah. The biggest sin of Anthem is that now I understand why the gameplay is the way it is. I was like, flying is fun, but why aren't you flying when you're shooting things? It's because they only added flying as an afterthought. It was just a shooter initially. Mm-hmm. And there was no flying in it, which explains why all the combat is so dull yeah. or as dull as it is. There's so much more potential in this game or in this franchise, I think. And it's just all gone well, downhill. And the other thing, it also explains why the enemy spawning is so weird. Like enemies literally yeah. just like come out of the clouds, essentially like everywhere all the time. That has got to be a limitation, right? Yeah, I mean, I think if you hold up the picture of the game that they started off trying to create, which was a a pseudo-realistic kind of, I, I don't want to, it's not post-apocalyptic, but it's this kind of, it's it's a hellscape, essentially. 
like this um, highly adverse climate or environment or whatever it was. The environment itself is trying to kill you. All the things that you meet are trying to kill you. And essentially, yeah. the gameplay is this survivalist slog across terrain with presumably limited resources. And it's almost like a roguelike in the sense that you're going out there, you're trying to get what you can, you find what you can, you do what you can, you complete what you can, and then you get back home. That initial pitch sounded so cool. You know, I'm I'm sure that you and I are not the only ones who think so either, because there's nothing out there like that. So you have this slog through an adverse environment next to a extremely fast flight through a paradise. And you can already see the limitations. And they're talking about having to essentially prune the game back over and over and over because the tools just would not allow them to do what they needed to do. Yeah. It's silly. It's backwards. And you've got to wonder how... The blame for this is somehow falling on Bioware when it's, I mean, really, their hands are tied by by executives in EA. How are the executives yeah. not taking the heat for this? That's what I want to know. And it's... Well, it's, it's not just that. It's not just the toolkit. I think the toolkit is the only one of the reasons. It's one of so many that come from the same source, though. And EA has done this over and over, shutting down these studios. Are the investors not seeing that if these companies are getting shut down, the long-term health of this money-making campaign is non-existent. I guess they're, I guess they're just going to profit. They're just going to kill it and leave. And that's going to be, it's like scorched earth. To be fair though, let's be 100% fair. They had some of the tooling done in Dragon Age Inquisition. Mass Effect Andromeda was developed in the meanwhile. They brought on some of the talent to port some of those changes to Anthem. And they had seven years. They mismanaged a lot of their time. And we don't specifically know what. There's there's no there's no argument there, but a lot of the a lot of the senior management left. That's a lack of morale. That's what that is. That's when those issues start. Yeah, am among other things, right? But it's not just working hard. If people believe what they're working, believe in, sorry, what they're working on, they they can handle that. Yeah. I think a lot of the issue is that they didn't believe in it because A, it was this over and over again. B, it was the fact that their tools were limited. C, it was the fact they probably felt like they had no control over their circumstances because everything that came down the line, they just had to obey it. There was nothing really they could do about it. I really feel for the guys who were out in, um, where was it now? I want to say Texas. Is it in Austin? The uh, secondary studio? Yeah. I think the main studio is in Edmonton. And uh, yeah, the other one is in Austin, I think. The, yeah. the senior uh, studio, if you want to call that, is, is Edmonton. Yeah. yeah. Whatever the reasons may be, they said they were having trouble attracting talent to Edmonton. I really feel for the studio in Austin because if you if you really feel me here, they're, they're at the very, very bottom of, I mean, I'm going to call it again. It's the multi-story outhouse effect. Yeah. <laughs> where you've got EA crapping things down and then Edmonton taking the only control that they can exert, which is to put Austin even lower than they are on the chain. Yeah, 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 yeah. I really feel for those guys, They man. started um, referring to the secondary team as, you know, the B team, right? I think that was that was more of the fans, wasn't it? No, no, this was actually also apparently happening in the studio. 
Oh, that's disgusting. Um, from what I heard. From I'll tell you I what, read. buddy. If I had been management in that studio, anyone who was caught calling anyone else the B team or the C team or any yeah. other bullshit would be suspended. <laughs> yeah. Like, immediately. <laughs> anyway, it's been, it's been a clusterfuck. But supposedly, the last 18 months were kind of... I mean, they must have pulled one hell of a maneuver, right? To go from nothing to what they released... Yeah, really. I mean, we can shit on Anthem as much as we want, but if that is what they what they made in 18 months, you know, that's not so bad. That's pretty freaking great, really. Yeah. Pretty impressive. That being said, it's still not a good game. That game should have had way more development time and way less conceptual time, but I guess, you know, they were working on the system, so man, it's just it's just a sad story to me. I just uh, feel like there's so much wasted potential the, there. The vision the vision just never coalesced. But I think I, I still feel like what you brought up with the tools is really that was the killer. That's the reason why the vision had to keep changing at the end of the day, because they eventually got to this point where they had taken out everything. I mean, really everything that was going to make that game what it was. There is nothing left of that original vision except the third person viewpoint yeah, and, everything- and, the, and the mech suits. And but that's all, that's all aesthetic. Yeah, and some of the stuff we praised when we played it were things that they removed, added in, removed again, then added in again after lots of debate. You can just feel it was super undercooked and it saddens me greatly, but that's the way it is. There was another looter shooter or yeah, kind of shooter looter game released not so long ago. Are we talking about the D? It was the D, and it's not the D from Destiny. No, no, no. No, it's but the, it is another D2, yeah. It's the D2, as in The Division 2, by Ubisoft. I, see, I almost feel like... This is a cool one as well, because I almost feel like this has flown under the radar a little bit. I definitely feel like Anthem got a lot more spotlight and a lot more press, and The Division 2 definitely is well-known. I don't I'm know. I got it's, the it's impression... Kind of secret, yeah, but. I got an impression that it did did really well. I think it... it, it um. It was a little bit overshadowed by the uh, release of Sekiro, which came out a little bit later, which got a lot of press. Well, and also I feel like Anthem coming out when it did also did a lot. I just feel like because it was the second game in a series and because it didn't make any really groundbreaking changes. No, no. True. um, It was very easy for it to be overshadowed by hype, Mm -hmm. essentially. Sekiro, of course, is, is excellent. It's you know, the next Bloodborne, but it kind of changes Bloodborne. And so it's a little bit more catchy, eye-catching and new. Um, same thing with Anthem, obviously. And there were a lot of high hopes for Anthem. But yeah, I feel like it's a really, really solid game. Because what it seems like what, what Ubisoft has done here is really what they should have done with Destiny 2 as well. And that is that they've taken what was great about the first game and said, okay, this does have weaknesses. This does have limitations. How do we design those things? How do we redesign them? How do we rethink them? Without reinventing the wheel, how can we refine the wheel? And it seems like what came out of that was actually a really good game with a really good loot system. I never played The Division 1, the first game. I have not played The Division 2, but it does seem indeed like they listen to feedback. And quite unlike Destiny, they have been able to really make great changes to their formula and polish the game up some more to make the sequel significantly better than its predecessor. 
which is really all you all you expect from a, an iterative numbered game sequel to a franchise. I would even go a step further. I would say it's not what you expect, it's what you hope for. Yes. Really. I yeah. mean, you you want it to be a little bit different so that it's a new game. If you know what I'm saying, you don't just feel like you're playing the same game over again, but at the same time, I think you at the very yeah. least expect a certain amount of improvements and everything extra that you get is just the cherry on top. Yeah, really. If you've got I a mean, fun you're, you're franchise, looking for, you're looking for the same overall feel, you're looking for a bit more polish, a bit more refinement, new content, job done. Yeah. Exactly. All right, let's talk about the Epic Store. Oh boy. Yeah, so I know that you really hate the Epic Store. I don't I don't mind it. It's a hyperbole. I'm I'm kind of playing a little bit of a of a devil's advocate character sometimes when I when I go like, oh, I really hate the Epic Store. I think the Epic Store is doing some interesting things, uh, to say the least. I have to say that in all honesty, I'm not a big fan of the exclusivity deals that they're doing. I think competition in terms of pricing makes for a more healthy market space in terms of competition like i can buy whatever game i want on whatever store i want but if you are for example ubisoft and you want to sell the division 2 maybe you can get people who buy directly through through uplay a bigger discount which for example is a thing they've done now you can go to the ubi store if you've got some points that you accumulated by playing other ubisoft games you can, I think it's 100 points, you can invest those, quote-unquote, invest those 100 points and get 20% discount on any game on the store. That's a pretty nice incentive, and that is a good reason for me to go and buy a game on your shop. If you, the only reason for me to buy the game from your shop is because it's exclusively there, because you bought up like a special contract that says you can only buy it for six months on our platform and then it comes to the other shops, then I'm just going to wait it out. The advantages of me waiting it out outweigh my desire for playing the game early in that I'll get a better version with more patches. It'll be on my preferred platform. Maybe there's even a discount six months down the line. I don't know. Sounds like a better deal because what I'm getting now is a platform that is undercooked in a variety of ways. I don't have any issues with the Epic Games launcher as, you know, we got a new platform. That's that's fine. Because Uplay also exists, Origin also exists. But the fact that they're buying up games, they're like, okay, Borderlands 3, it's coming out on Epic Games Store exclusivity for six months. I've been telling my friends, if I'm going to be playing Borderlands 3, it's going to be in April of 2020 when the game comes to Steam. I have no interest in playing Borderlands 3 on the Epic Games launcher. Also, I have the other two games on Steam. I want to keep it all on Steam if I can. Uh, if it's a game that's exclusive to your service, like EA has their EA games on their launcher, I can understand. It's not like they're buying up random games and saying, they're only available on uh, Origin now. Like, no. Um... If anything, they are giving you the option to buy some games on Origin in addition 
to well, the be other able thing to is buy them, right? You can you can get the pass, which gives you access to all the games for a period oh, of time. Oh yeah, that too. That's like the game, yeah. games as a service, and mm-hmm. I mean that that really makes sense. That really makes sense to me. I mean, if you have your own content on your own launcher and you offer a pass, yeah, for your games, like okay, I get that. That makes business sense. If you like a lot of the games from the publisher, it makes sense to get the pass and things like that. Even if you don't, you could go on there, get the pass for a while, play the games you want for a while, and then when you're done, you're done. You know, that works. However you choose to play is fine. The Steam model also works where you just have all your games on this massive hub. That also makes sense, and that's fine too. But yeah, what Epic is doing is almost like what Discord seems to be trying to do, where they're just like, hey, guys, we have games too. And it's like, and... (laughs) <laughs> they have so and much what? money from Fortnite now and they're just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks I guess um, do you know what I'm glad you mentioned this because this actually really disappoints me watching what they did with Fortnite and how quickly and how comprehensively they capitalized on that and then how mediocre the Epic Store has been yeah you'd think that they'd be able to build a store with a shopping cart more quickly than what they've been able to do so far and a wish list and a wish list, like and a review system look no i as a developer myself as a guy who works on web applications i can understand that you cannot put all of the features that steam has in your client and have all of them working for millions of players who have this client installed in a in an instant that's not possible that's not scalable but things some features are bigger than others a review system is a pretty big feature a shopping cart is not that's all i'm saying <laughs> mm-hmm. there's some of the stuff that it that needed to have been in the launcher three months ago that isn't in here now and as long as Fortnite was the only game in their launcher, that was excusable because Fortnite was an online game, so you didn't need offline access. Now there is some form of offline access or offline games in the launcher, but it doesn't work with all games, for example. Um, I don't entirely hate the launcher. Like, they're giving away free games. That's pretty cool. But... I'm not sure if this is the right approach. Um, I feel like what they've done is... I've, I think that their intentions are, are good, for the most part. But... Do you know what it is? We've talked about this before in previous things, where we talked about the way Paragon was developed and eventually cancelled. Yes. The way the original Fortnite PvE was designed and eventually pretty much died on the vine yeah. in order to create the Battle Royale mm-hmm. mega craze that yeah. it has become. I feel like Epic is just the clumsy grandfather of this industry. <laughs> and it's just kind of battering its way around the house until it eventually finds the bathroom. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> that's just kind of how it is. You know uh, what I'm saying? That's a delightful episode title. There we go. The I've clumsy- done it again. <laughs> the clumsy, maybe the clumsy uncle. I don't know. I, but I feel like Epic has to be the grandfather because it's yeah. so old. It's been around forever. This is true. So yeah, it's just it's the blind grandfather of the of the gaming industry. And 
they they just don't seem to be able to do anything <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Like you you look at these ideas and the ideas are good, but they they don't they seem to get it right. They can't execute, and this they, is ironic yeah. because this idea of of idea without execution is actually a paraphrased quote from an executive of Epic Games. I was watching a, a show or a documentary, I guess you'd call it, um, and it's a it's a compilation of clips from executives in Epic Games talking about the gaming industry at like E3 or some big convention. And they were saying, well, you know, the, the problem with the gaming industry these days is uh, it's not a lack of ideas. Like, there's there's lots of ideas out there. The problem is execution. Well, there's very yeah. few people out there who could execute properly. I was like, yeah, most <laughs> of them are in your fucking office. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. well, anyway. Yeah, so the way I see it is they're trying to build a platform. They want to have, they want to capitalize on the fact they've got all these users who played Fortnite and maybe they want to get into some other games. They want to be a big player because they've got the money to build the platform. But I feel like their efforts in making games exclusive to their store it's such an old school hook. No, I, I understand really why they're doing it from a business point of view. But that's what I'm saying. It's an old school hook. I mean, look around look around the business universe, right? We used to have phones that were locked to a specific network. Yes. Now in, that's in been legislated against. Yeah. No, here in the UK, we had it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah like you <laughs> had it. <everywhere>. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Here in the UK, we literally, we don't even use like the the... I can't remember what the name is, but the like the PIN number, the serial number on the phone to identify it on the network. We don't use that like they do over in the US. Okay. We use we use little SIM cards. It's chip yeah, that yeah. you put in your phone. So do we. Even though we were using a removable chip, you couldn't take out the chip and put in a different chip. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's that's bad. It was stupid. The phones were designed to do it and they weren't allowed. <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> like, yeah. They were just crippled at a hardware level. It's ridiculous. So anyway, the point being, you look around the business universe, all this kind of uh, exclusivity nonsense as a hook, as a force in order to get people to use your service over another, that's been, and it's gone. Just we because you can the need. doesn't yeah, mean we, you should. We recognize the need for and the value of a fluid market environment. Now people compete on features, they compete yeah. on service, they compete on price. And these are things yeah. that you can compete on at a sensible level, competing on, well, I'm going to hold you ransom because you want this phone. That's, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. See, that's exactly where I was going. And I, what I wanted to say was, I feel like if the Epic Games launcher was a more mature product, if it had, I'm not going to say feature parity with Steam because that's really hard to do, but if it had... Let's say 75% of the features that Steam as a platform has, and then you announce you're going to release exclusives, I think people might have been more receptive towards that because then you, you're you not obviously going to be saying, but look, this platform is much more inferior to Steam. Then you'd just be like, okay, it's another platform. It's more mature. Yeah, exclusivity sucks, but the platform is better and now they have they're in the city situation where both their client is not as mature as it could slash should be and they're doing this outdated practice of exclusives now it works 
exclusives work because Sony is selling a record amount of PS4s that are being sold because of their exclusive games that are being super well received. Yeah, but again, you're talking about really excellent games. You're always going to have a certain degree of exclusivity between consoles because they're fundamentally different systems. I mean, you're talking about a hardware level reason for exclusivity at that point. Well, not necessarily you do, nowadays you do have anymore. To port, you do have to change. It, there's something there, though. I more mean, it's not just like more games it. are getting multi-platform releases and even after the fact, right? Games that were exclusives have Very been, true, getting, have been but, getting ports. But there's a lot more design overhead for that than there is for changing a client on a PC. Yes, this is true. A lot more. Yeah. Right? So at the very least, you'd look at it being released for one thing first and then port it over. Right? So you're going to look at this this time-locked or time-dependent exclusivity. S- some some games. The minority, though, of, of PlayStation 4 exclusives ha- you know, eventually get released on other platforms. It's usually many years after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, uh, Epic Games announced that they were going to get uh, Heavy Rain and um, what was the new game that I discussed and I said was really good? Um, Detroit Become Human. Those right. two are coming to the Epic Store, I believe this year, later this year. Uh, those were exclusives on PlayStation. Mm-hmm. Is it good that they're coming to PC? I think so. Yeah, if this, definitely. If it wasn't possible before and because of epic it is now possible to play those games on pc i'm all for it Mm -hmm. if you were gonna release those games on steam and then you know the the people at epic said here's some money how about you don't release on steam that's a different story you know actually there's another point to be made here because you were talking about the uh the relatively feature poor nature of the Epic Store, mm-hmm. you don't have those problems on consoles. Most of the consoles are relative equivalents to each other these days. Yeah, this is true. Yeah. So, I mean, you kind of choose your console, and that's like your, you know, your brand, if you want to call it that. Well, actually, hold on. You say that, but the Nintendo Switch has a rather undercooked like communication system. There's no voice over IP options. Yeah, but it has its yeah. own advantages. Yeah, know? it's true. It it's gone a different direction. It 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 competes, yeah. It yeah, it's definitely a different kind of product, but it's it's also a console in the same way a, a PlayStation is a console, but it's also a handheld in a way that you know PS4 and Xbox are not. I feel like it it adequately pursues a different market. Yeah, I would say so. I I've actually heard that lots of people who have a PlayStation are buying a Switch, or lots of people who have a PC are buying a Switch as a supplementary device. The other thing is that a Switch is nowhere near as expensive. So, yeah, well, to be fair, if you're a little bit, if you're like two years into a, the cycle of a new console, the odds are you're, you're going to be paying about the same amount for a console uh, as you are for a Switch. Like a Switch is about 300 euros, maybe a little bit more depending on where you live. And mm-hmm. a PlayStation is like 400 if you want to get. It is significantly older though. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. You see my point. So, but I'm. I don't think that there was that you could buy a PlayStation for two years after release for three hundred euros, but if you if it was like a sale, I think you probably could have. Maybe so You'd the difference the difference is minor, but yeah, um, it definitely helps that the Switch is priced a hundred euros cheaper 
for sure, mm-hmm. for sure. I'm not going to deny that. But uh, and and yes, I also agree that it pursues a totally different or an adequately different market. But see, that's kind of the point because you're not seeing the Epic Store offering yeah. games at a cheaper price. I mean, exactly. yeah, okay, there there are the games here and there that are free. Yeah, that's true. That's you cool. can definitely argue that. But I mean, if you're interested in those specific titles, great. Um, I want to make a slight oh, correction. In the U.S., some games are cheaper, but only in the U.S. Okay. Well, neither of us is in the U.S. So. Exactly. So we are not affected. <laughs> um, That's so weird. Yeah. I wonder why that. Yeah. Anyway, it's an imponderable. It's funny because in Europe, everything is more expensive anyway. So um, if anyone needed the discount, it's us. <laughs> yeah, really. Well, anyway. That's enough so- on the Epic Game Store, I think, right? Yeah, there are quite a few things we wanted to to get through. So, if you've mm, got a meaningful conclusion, though, feel free to uh, let yourself go. No, not really. I mean, I I feel like I want to see where this is going to go. I yeah. definitely think that they're going to keep tinkering and toying with the Epic Store. At yeah. some point, it'll probably be okay. I mean, at the end of the day, we're also forgetting that Steam oh, yeah. first oh, released yeah. was a shit show. <laughs> I wanted to bring this up. Yeah, a shit. Show. A show of shit. There was nothing but shit in that show. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean that was that was bad. Yeah, that was that bad. was really bad. I mean the Epic Store is nowhere near that level of shit showery. But no, um, thankfully, it's also uh, it's also many, many years later. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I mean you kind of feel like there's no excuse there's, for some of these things. Yes. Some of the stuff you'd expect in the year 2019 stuff to be you know if you release a new platform there's certain expectations and i think in some ways they are just not being met and people do not really react kindly to the exclusivity and i then- also feel like it's it's this bizarre way that it it plays copycat in the way that it has these big banner ads for games in the store but then it just doesn't have anything else like it doesn't have any of the navigation systems yeah it doesn't have a favorites list it doesn't have a wish list i can't imagine that these are huge features that are really difficult to add it's just interface design yeah i think it's just a matter of not not enough engineers not being given enough time to actually implement the features and you know i think it's also very likely that it's too many engineers and not enough designers yeah also possibly because that's um, one thing that I've consistently found with Epic. Like almost everything that Epic touches reeks of over-engineering and under-design. If you think about the way their features work, they're often very complex and technical and just not very handy. Right. Well, I I haven't played enough Epic games really, to be honest, uh, to mm-hmm. make that assessment. But I'm going to trust you. You're right on that. So uh, in short... I tend to be right. So. We are going to keep track of what, what's happening with the Epic Store. Of course, the latest announcement is Borderlands exclusivity. Um, That's going to be a nightmare, man. There are a whole lot of people out there yeah. who are very excited about Borderlands who probably will not buy it. You think so? Yeah. Okay. There's also some other games. like uh, I wrote down The Outer Worlds, which got a lot of hype at like one of the late uh, one of the big events uh i remember it being very funny because people were talking about oh you know from the original creators of fallout like okay these are the guys uh doing doing that game and then they announced that they were gonna get 
uh, an exclusivity contract going with Epic, and they were going to release on the Epic Game Store exclusively for the first year, I believe. And I saw this huge Reddit post. Now, I just want to contextually point out that not most people don't visit Reddit. I think who play video games, like the vast majority of people don't, but you know, people like us who are really involved so? with the community do. But I think I think there are a whole who, lot of memesters out there who do, man. Yeah, and I also think that the a majority of people just, you know, they look up information about games and they get game recommendations from their friends and they just buy the games and enjoy them. Yeah, but really can you can you Google anything and not have a Reddit post come up? Think about this it. This is also true. But I'm gonna go out on a whim and say not everybody checks them out, right? That even if fifty percent of the people checks checks them out, still half of the people who don't. Um, and I'm sure there's the percentage is far far smaller. Um, but basically, my point is, um, you know, there's all these memesters, indeed, like you said, who are hating on the Epic Store and on oh no, the Outer Worlds is coming out um, on Epic Games. Well, I mean. I guess that means the release date shifts, you know, a year later for me. You know, everybody was saying that. Like, personally, I was really excited about The Other Worlds. It looked really cool, right? Mm-hmm. And they announced they were going to be on Steam. There was a Steam store page. Uh, the developers were up to, I think, two hours prior to the announcement of the game going exclusive. They were working on implementing achievements for the game because you can you can go check out the Steam database and see what changes are being made to the build and they just added achievements 3 hours prior to the announcement of them getting the exclusivity contract um that made some people angry and I saw a lot of comments of people saying you know well if that's the case then I guess this game got delayed a year for me and I'll buy it then. I'll buy the Game of the Year edition. <laughs> you know, people were talking like that. And I think people are perfectly warranted to do that. Personally, I'm likely to just wait it out. I'm gonna I'm probably gonna wait it out on Borderlands 3. I'm probably gonna wait it out on the on the Outer Worlds. You know what? I've got think... so many games. Um yeah, I think I think I I'm going to have out. to go back slightly on what I'm saying cuz I think we're definitely in the minority. Like people who are going to wait this out, yeah, are kind of sticks in the mud. There are people who want to maintain their their game collection on one platform, but the longer that Epic keeps this up, the less viable that's going to be. Yeah. And there's mm-hmm. going to be more and more things that you're just sick of waiting a year to play. Eventually they're going to wear people down with yeah. the amount of money that they seem to be offering people or saving people in the development community whatever. Oh. Yeah, very true. It's look it's looking like this is going to become a heavy hitter in the platform list. Yeah. We just have to hope that it gets a hell of a lot better. Yeah, I'm hopeful in that regard. I am. Unfortunately, the more this happens, the less incentivized they are to do it. So there's going to be a kind of weird graph of how fast things are going to change and the more people are playing on their platform, the less incentivized they are to change, but the more likely yeah. they are because they have more people on the service. I don't like it's going to I don't know how that's going to pan out. The better the user experience, the more likely people are going to spend money on their platform too. You know, uh, yeah. the entire Gabe Newell thing about piracy is a uh, service problem and all that. I saw two other interesting reactions that I just wanted to point out, uh, and then we'll move on to the next topic. Is um, some people said, "Okay, if that's the case, I'm going to pirate the game 
That's what some people said on on the thread. I I don't think that's the proper way to do things. Right. Okay. So you're going to deny the developers you love all their money. Yeah. Great. Exactly. Yeah, that's good, I don't good solution, think, guys. I don't think that's a good solution. Um, and then the other thing is, people said, okay, if that's the case, I'm going to buy the console version, which is. I guess an option if you want to play on an inferior platform. Isn't that exactly the same thing as just buying it on the Epic Store, though? Really? At the end of the day, you're you're just trying to boycott Epic. Yeah, you could argue that the offline mode on PlayStation is more robust than it is on the Epic Game Store for some games right now. Okay. So if offline access is important to you because you lose internet access a lot, then that might be a reason. All right. Okay. Yeah. That's that's fair. That's fair. But that's just like a very minor reason, I guess. Um, but I, I imagine to some people quite important because, you know, we take internet access for granted sometimes. Um, at least I do, at least. Uh, I know that some parts of the world have either very slow internet, you know, like they get a game update and they have to wait a day to mm-hmm. download the, the update. That's, you know, that's terrifying. And in, in that way, like I just, I just remembered, for example, um, if you have a Switch... Um, if you have two people in the same room and one person does not have an updated version of a game, you can actually share the update with the other player in the room, which is pretty cool. Um, that is handy, actually. When you have Smash, for example, and somebody's on a higher patch and everybody else is like lagging behind, no problem. Just we can update our versions and then we can play together. That's pretty cool. Like, is it like a peer-to-peer? Yeah, it's that? peer-to-peer, yeah. Very cool. And it's offline. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you don't need it's internet. Like just, yeah, very sweet, man. That's pretty cool, huh? Okay, so let's move on. Indeed, let's move on. So, uh, the last little bit of our episode is going to be about Google entering the gaming space. Oh boy! Specifically, their announcement of their streaming service, Google Stadia. Now, we once did an XPG recording, and me and you, we talked about streaming platforms a little bit but it didn't end up making the cut of the episode that we released because I thought, yeah, it's not meaningful discussion, but I think with the announcement of Google Stadia, this is again, a discussion worth looking at or something worth discussing at the very least. It just, it very much feels like a growing part of the gaming sphere. It's well, it feels to me almost like VR did a couple of years ago, like something they really want to make happen but isn't really happening. <laughs> That's like what it VR feels like a couple to me. of years ago, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. VR people were excited about VR. I know I don't know that many people who are excited about streaming games. Um Really? Yeah. You don't you don't think that this is I, I very much think this is gonna be one of those things that kind of sneaks in You think so? Very very quietly for a while and it's not really a big thing until suddenly I think a number of things are going to come together. We're going to be able to stream our games in a practical way. And then suddenly it's just going to blow up. And it's like VR. If you look at the history of VR over like the last 10 or 15 years, that's very much how VR was. Like people were excited about VR when the headsets really started showing up and there was a visible product. But before then, VR existed. Yeah. yeah, yeah, You could go and do VR in arcades, you know, back in the 80s. But it was never really a thing. Right. It It was a novelty at best. Usually. Okay. Whereas now it's it's really something that's coming into its own. All right. So, so hear me out for a bit, okay? Yeah. So the thing about Google Stadia is it is a streaming service like all the others we've seen so far. 
So in like, that it's shit. <laughs> no, 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 not not in that it's shit. In that it is. They are though. It has the same characteristics as all other streaming services. So what am I talking about? Um, Project X Cloud by Microsoft, which they're working on. I'm talking about NVIDIA GeForce now. I'm talking about PlayStation now. Their services all have streaming solutions. Now, there's a bunch of inherent, shall I say, problems or issues that arise, and there's a bunch of requirements. The biggest requirement is you need to have a good broadband connection, a connection that is consistently fast. So if you have dips or interference, then your experience in streaming games is going to be suboptimal. So a moment ago, we talked about people who had poor internet and it took forever to download patches. Those people cannot play games on a service like this. Places with poor internet connections, those are going to be effectively locked out. But that's not my biggest concern about the streaming tech, I should say, because it's it's really kind of a technological advancement. Yep. We can make internet connections faster. We can reduce latencies. It's just a matter of time, I think. Sure. Before yeah. we, we make it fast enough that it becomes almost indiscernible from running locally. Yeah. So really, eventually, it's going to be viable. It's going to be viable. I think um, the latency needs to drop. I think the picture quality needs to increase, but that's just a matter of codecs, of technology improvements. We're going to get there uh, mm -hmm. eventually. Yeah, we have we have the, the technology today. It's just not refined, really. Do I like this personally? No, I don't like it very much. I think having the hardware and running it locally is better for a variety of reasons. Um, but the biggest problem is that this muddies the waters again in terms of do you own your games or not? Um, and there's a bunch of interesting scenarios that I have read online, you know, people bringing up arguments against, you know, why would you not want to invest in something like Google Stadia? Now, we don't know anything about the pricing, so it's quite possible that they'll adopt a model like GeForce Now, where you just have the virtual hardware and you pay a flat fee for the virtual hardware, and you bring your own digital games library. We don't know what their system's going to be. Maybe you pay a flat rate for a bunch of games. Maybe you bring your own games. Maybe, you know, whatever. They could come up with something here. But the idea is that depending on the kind of licensing of the game, you will no longer have access to a disc. Now, you don't have access to a disc when you're playing a digital copy of a PC game either. What's the big deal there? Well, you have access to the game files. You can back up the game files on your computer. Yes. You so everything's, everything's local at some level. Yeah, at some level. When you go fully cloud-based, you are completely at the mercy of the person who hosts the cloud. So this Unless means... Unless they offer some kind of a download option, essentially. Yeah, unle unless they offer an option like that, which I think is... To be fair, you the can just right do like a stream, a stream rip anyway, uh, like the the catcher basically for YouTube, things like that, where you can stream a video and you can you can basically download the video. Yes, but that doesn't work for games, of course, because somebody will find a way. No, they that's, always do. That's not possible. It's not possible. Um, Why not? You cannot save every possible permutation as a video feed of what happens in your video games. Impossible. 
Uh, so you're talking about um, not downloading any kind of an executable at all. No, that's literally just no, video. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay. not, it's not possible because all you've got is enough. video. All, all that Google Stadia is at the, you know, in the end is just video. Right. So in the end, the best you could hope for is uh, essentially downloading a stream. Yeah. Like the best, <laughs> like if you wanted to have like a memorabilia, but the fact that you played the game is maybe you can download a recording of what you played and that's yeah. about it. Um that's what you can do, like as a man in the middle. See, the big thing that scares me about this is actually that it makes no sense from a business perspective to ever let people have the hard copy. Yeah, and it doesn't you... make sense to keep old games on your service either. No. So you basically want to lease something, and then once it stops being profitable for you to lease it yeah. because the volume of interested parties is small enough, you just get rid of it. See, that's indeed my fear is that you know games are going to launch on this service at a certain point the decision is made to pull the plug now this already happens with certain multiplayer servers yeah um and you know you bought a game a bunch of years ago and the servers are shut down and you can't play the multiplayer anymore but thankfully you can still get the single player and you know play whatever is not connected to the you know to any online services a bigger concern for me would be games that are just not all that popular Yes. It's the kind of games that you see on Steam. Oh, only 55% of people recommend this game. It's like, yeah, but that's still freaking 55%. True. Um, that's a lot of people to not be able to play the game. Google were advertising specifically AAA games. So it seems like maybe in this initial phase, they're only interested in like um, making very big AAA games that have very powerful hardware requirements available to the masses which i could see i could see the use for that yeah the the market niche definitely exists for that like people who don't have the high-end computers or if they want to play the game on a mobile platform see i um, kind of want to counterpoint this because you know i was thinking that and then there was this this little voice inside my head that said but the people who care about those AAA games are more likely to buy a console or a pc than not playing the game you're missing the point though i think because a lot of a lot of these huge AAA games are increasingly becoming hyper commercialized as well they're designed to appeal to as many people as possible they true. monetize through loot boxes and things no no like no that. very true so what but those what are also the watered at, down games that don't get super high review scores sometimes yeah but they do make a lot of money true a lot of the time it, um anthem made a lot of money too so did Destiny. Doesn't make it a good game. Uh-huh. But my you see my point. <laughs> yeah, my yeah, point yeah, is for that sure. the the market is in giving the masses watered down product rather than appealing to the niche enthusiast market. The niche enthusiast market is always going to be a niche enthusiast market. That market hasn't ever really grown. We people who have been playing games as a major hobby or a major source of their entertainment. I mean, we've we've been around as a community since, you know, a long time, but we need to bear in mind there were people before us who were making their own little games back in the days of DOS. You know, they were the real enthusiasts. And then <laughs> and then it became more mainstream and we jumped on board and now it's more mainstream again and new people are jumping on board. At every at every generation, every stage of this development, people are tired of the the loop expanding because it gets spread thinner and thinner. Well, I see 
I see some interesting trends. Um, a lot of people, I think the majority of people who play games are not what we call, um, I believe in the first episode you used the, the co coined gamers with little g, gamers with a big g. And we talked about mobile games. The majority of people who play games play games on their phones nowadays. If Google can advertise bigger and more vast games to those people, I think I understand what they're trying to do. In that regard, I do see some limitations and some possible problems uh, of a technical nature in the short term, but those will disappear, like I said. Um, bandwidth constraints are a problem. Most people play games on the go when they're commuting to work, stuff like that. Those games are offline on their phones. They install them on their phone. They play them then. If they need access to constant internet connection, then they're not going to be able to stream their games on the go. That's a, a big problem, I think. That's a big hurdle that they're going to have to face. Um, so who who is this product for? It's for people who don't have the money to buy a dedicated machine. I can think of uh, one particular demographic in which this is going to be very successful. Yes. Students. Students. Among students, this would be massive. And you know what? The student market, there there are really, I was thinking about this from a business perspective not, not too long ago. There are two huge markets that are essentially just a bottomless pit of money. One is the government and the other is students. Hold on. Don't you think that a bunch of students get consoles from their parents? Some of them do, some of them don't, but I know one thing, and that is that a lot of them don't have the money to buy a gaming rig. No, that's true. And would happily get a service that they can use on their laptop, which their parents will buy them for university. Yeah, Laptops are a heck is, of a lot more common yeah, than gaming this rigs. Is, this is true, this is true. And gaming laptop gaming performance has increased in the last few years too. But it's still not up to snuff with like a... A desktop machine. Well, we're getting closer with the G on the GPU end, at least uh, for sure. And storage is frequently much faster in laptops than it is in desktop computers because uh, laptops adapt uh, adopted uh, flash yeah. flash drives, especially indeed the M2 drives faster than uh, the computer. Yeah, just out of out of necessity, essentially. Well, who knows? Maybe maybe we're going to see... Yeah, well, I mean, we're definitely going to see two two technologies probably competing against each other. There's going to be the viability of, of cloud computing, and there's going to be the viability of localized mobile computing alongside each other. But, I mean, we haven't seen a lot of really huge breakthroughs in, in CPU processing capability. No, it, we're, it's we're interesting. We're really reaching the limits. We need some breakthroughs on that before we can go too much further. Well, in, in terms of CPU, it's interesting because the big trend in the early 2000s was we needed more gigahertz, right? We needed more performance. And this came at a, at a considerable energy cost. So CPUs would use more power relative to uh, you know previous years. Then mobile devices became prevalent in 2007, 2008. And that's when CPU manufacturers started working on more energy efficient chips. So a lot of their budgets went to ensuring that 
stuff uses way more power, way less, sorry, way less power than it did before. So we have slightly faster CPUs. We have way more threads though. That's one of the things we've gone to multi-core and we've optimized that way. It's efficiency, essentially. It's over efficiency, yeah. yeah. So we've gone efficiency and we've increased core counts. And one of the things you can do when you have multiple cores is you can turn some off when they don't need to be used and you can save power that way as well. Multi-threading has really become very significant. So we our, our, our CPUs haven't gotten really much po more, more powerful, but we have gotten more efficient. And it's just a matter of time before we can exploit that. But it's harder to exploit from a programmer's point of view. Um, if you have a single processor that is doing a chunk of work and it gets significantly more powerful, the benefit is going to be more significant because the kind of work you do or let a computer do is usually going to benefit more from a single core improvement than it is going to from multiple cores. And the reason for this is very simple. When you have the, if, when you have to let the computer do something, you can't always chop up a task and divide it evenly. Like you have to render this, you have to process that audio. It's not possible. Some tasks you have to perform in a linear fashion. So at which point there's no real benefit. So there's no benefit to having multiple cores. The more mm -hmm. complex your game gets, of course, and games do get very complex nowadays, right? The days of Pong are over, <laughs> right? Yeah, we have all these, you know, complex 3D rendering engines with audio engines and AI systems. It helps that we have more cores for that because we can parallelize stuff. We can say AI and audio is on this thread. Um, rendering happens on this thread. The actual GPU handles the rendering of all the frames, you know? Mm -hmm. It's interesting to see where we've come, but the most interesting development, like I said, is on the mobile end. So in laptops, tablets, phones, the, the choice for a minimal power consumption, which means maximum battery life has been very important. And, you know, if you're a person who uses a desktop, then, you know, you can't really benefit from significant speed increases. Mm -hmm. And also interesting to know is that alternate CPU architectures have become more uh, prevalent. And those, especially of a low power nature, are much cheaper to run as a cloud service as well. So you can imagine that if you have a single computer and your processor uses a certain amount of energy, if you have a processor that performs effectively the same, but consumes a tenth of the power, that's better for your energy bill. Now imagine if you have a server room filled with thousands of these, having computers that use a tenth of that power means you'll be saving a lot of money, which means that stuff like cloud gaming becomes more viable every year due to the efficiency increases as well because but of the, the power side, requirements. But the flip side of that is that if you, you function as simply a games distributor like Steam does, for example, you cut out a lot of that problem by 
allowing the customer to do their own rendering. Instead of having reduced costs on your servers, you have no costs on streaming servers because you don't stream. The only real big costs that are associated with Steam is the bandwidth that they need in order for you to be able to download your games. Mm -hmm. But But that is significantly less than having to constantly maintain a stream of data of a video feed. Of course, and you don't have to do it for every user all the time. This is why it's so scary that there's no competition for YouTube because there's literally no other company that can make a service that outputs that amount of data to that many people without going bankrupt in a day, you know? Yeah, it's actually interesting that you mentioned that as well because I'm I'm looking forward to the future of YouTube and I'm seeing a formula that's relatively similar to the formula that we're we're talking about here with the streaming service. And yeah, they've talked the, about integrating with YouTube, right? So when you not, watch a trailer, after you've watched the trailer, there's a button, play now on Google Stadia. Not exactly what I was talking about. Um, I'm sure that there is going to be a linkage that way. But yeah, at that's the same what they time, demoed. Yeah, what I was talking about is the general formula, which is that especially with the legislation changes going through at the moment for YouTube becoming a lot more accountable for yeah. the uh, the content that it allows to upload. This is effectively going to make YouTube much more a place for the official big name channels, like when you've got the official channel that provides all the music and things like that. Yeah, potentially. Um, so yeah, we, we well, don't know what the repercussions will be in. You say, you say potentially, but I mean, there's going to be a vast amount of media that a lot of people would like to access that will only be viable using that method. Because you're you're looking at Okay, is this the official channel uploading this licensed stuff? Great. If not, kill it. And that's that's really what it's going to come down to. So I think YouTube is is going to become more and more a place for the big names when you're talking about general content. It's going it's to almost be, going to be like a, an alternative to television. It's going to be interesting for sure. I think, but um, I mean, we're looking at Google Stadia potentially going the same way. Not for copyright reasons, but they're going to put on the things that appeal to the most people, and they're probably going to leave off a lot of the other stuff because, as you mentioned, it is going to have massive bandwidth requirements. The The game that you're streaming doesn't matter. What you know, matters is how much money they can make from each game. A lot of people watch Netflix, um, and that has some fairly okay bandwidth requirements. <laughs> if everybody starts playing Google Stadia, w- we have a problem. Um, band, you know, bandwidth is going to get congested, and you know, people are going to notice. Um, the other question is how much they're going to do with advertising. Yeah, I mean, advertising right now, at least for me, if I'm just out and about, mm-hmm. uh, my phone doesn't have the best internet connection. Yeah, and we don't necessarily have the best wireless connectivity here in the uk because we have a lot of really old buildings mm-hmm. um yeah, yeah, yeah downloading the ad takes longer than downloading the video or streaming the ad takes longer than streaming the video that i want to watch sometimes i'm just watching that little icon spin around for ages and then a stupid ad comes <laughs> up and i skip it and yeah. then i'm waiting just as long for the video i actually wanted to watch originally um yes. i find that very frustrating now i know you can get around that by paying money for the service i do understand that that's fine or but you could run an ad blocker as well on mobile. It's also an option. This is also true, and I really need to get on that. But <laughs> um, the point is, if you look at the bandwidth requirements 
they're being divvied up between the content and the advertising right now. And I would, I would, um, I would be very fearful that Google Stadia is going to follow the same formula that you're not going to pay for the service per se. Yeah. It might even, it might even be free, but it's going to be pregnant with ads. (laughs) Yeah. So the, um, the, the, the official announcement was a GDC. So the, the, sure. The game developer conference, and they were pitching their service. They were looking for developers interested in, you know, developing for the platform. And one of the sessions was about monetization uh, as well. And, you know, how ads and stuff integrate. I don't know the specifics, but apparently this was also a major point of the service indeed that, you know, there's going to be some advertising that you can integrate into your game, I believe. Now, I don't know what that looks like. Is this... You know, I think there was a game once, was it FIFA, that showed ads, uh, you know, on the football field? Well, I remember I remember Far Cry 2. I remember mm-hmm. Far Cry 2 multiplayer having this really pathetic thing where they had billboards. Oh, yeah, yeah. In the multiplayer that had actual physical yeah. real-world products on Like that, <laughs> yes. People hated that so much. Yeah, that was, I think that was how it was done in FIFA as well. Yeah, so something like that. Is that how ads are going to be now from now on? I don't know. Um, I, don't I don't think, think so. I don't think so. There was so huge either. backlash for it. A lot of people just ignored it. You brought up the YouTube ads thing and how they take up a long time to load on your phone, I assume. Yep. This is an interesting thing. Uh, and, you know, it gets talked about sometimes because you pay for data. Uh, and it's not like you have an un- unlimited amount of data. You pay for a data plan usually that has a fixed amount of bandwidth in it. And the fact that you have to sacrifice some of this bandwidth that you pay for. Yeah, you're paying to see the ads, quite literally. Literally is, you know, it's a pretty bad situation. And Well, and um, you know you know that the ads are going to be the highest definition available as well, so that the products advertised look their best. You know, I've never thought about that, but that's so true. Yeah. You're never going to have a low res ad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I on like on desktop I I ad block and for mobile I I pay for YouTube premium but only so I don't have to see any ads. <laughs> that's the only reason. Oh no, it's not that's not true. Sometimes I download a playlist, but you can do that in other ways as well. Uh though if you want to do it all very 100% legally, I'd recommend you pay for this service because then you can do it without feeling guilty. <laughs> yeah because google really needs more money yeah they really need yeah you know youtube's gonna go under otherwise um oh yeah man it's it's on the rocks no but google google does have a bit of a problem with youtube and monetization of course because you know when all these scandals happen and you know um all these advertisers pull out they do notice that yeah but why is this all happening because they've been engaging in practices that really are legal only because the internet is still the wild west yeah this is true and also uh, their platform is actually probably too large for what it is it's too large and it's gotten out of control and then then there's like the recommendation engine anyway this is xp gains um we probably should not really go into the youtube story Um, i think we need to tie it up we need to tie it up indeed so we talked about a bunch of platforms today which I think makes for an interesting episode of Expedience. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Listeners, is there anything else, like a closing statement that you'd like to make? I don't really have anything else to add anymore. Um, I think nope. we've covered a lot of stuff. 
Yeah, I definitely think we've we've talked about a lot of really interesting things regarding the state of the industry. I think for our listeners who know that our our overall feel and our overall goal in the podcast is obviously just to provide something that we talk about the whole gaming industry. It's not designed to be, wow, this game. It's, no, it's more not. supposed to be a mature podcast. It's for more adult listeners. Uh, I'm pretty sure that our demographics are not going to be in the early teens, but yeah. more kind of the older listeners, people who are really into games and really enjoy games, but maybe don't have time to play them all the time. And so they're listening to the podcast as a kind of gaming oriented media outlet um, just for things to keep them up to date, keep them interested, know what to play, things like that. We really need to do more content like that as well. Um, but for people who are familiar with our with our goal, I think this will be interesting content for you just hearing about the way things are going and, and kind of our take on that. Um, I feel like we've talked a lot in detail about that, but we've said, I think we've said most of what there is to say in terms of the major happenings right now. So I think we're, we're pretty much up to date. Yep. I would that's, agree with that. That's where we are. So our next episode, we're going to be looking at talking about a few more things that were originally slated for this episode, but we've ended up having really a lot more to talk about a lot more, uh, a lot more meat in this episode to get, uh, to get our teeth into than, than I had anticipated and presumably you as, you as well, Silver. Yeah. Um, I didn't really expect it to go as, as long as it did, um, but I definitely <laughs> feel that we haven't wasted too much time. So, and with that, I think we're just going to tie it up for this episode. So if you're listening and you're still with us, thank you very much for listening and taking the time. As always, this is just a hobby project for us. We do it because we love it. Um, it's not a job. We do it in our spare time. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, we hope you love it. If you haven't already, check out our previous episodes and uh, definitely flick through and find out whatever we're working on at the moment, if this is not the most recent episode at the time. But with that, again, another thank you, heartfelt from both of us. And wherever you are in the world, guys, we want to wish you all a good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or good night. See you next episode.